godly living. We're going to be doing two sessions on this topic. And, oh, I'm excited. I really am excited about teaching this. It's, God is just clarifying things for me. And when he clarifies things for me, I just feel like I can give to you what he has for me to give in just a much better way. So let's look at the lesson purpose, kind of the overview. Faith plus obedience. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about God's part, which is completed. When Jesus died on the cross, the work was completed. Our part is believing. Our part is to believe God at his word. Our part is to believe that Jesus completed the work. Obedience is a, goes hand in hand with that faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've begun learning through the word of God that we have an active part to play in receiving our healing and in all areas of abundant living. The purpose of this lesson is to gain knowledge of what God's plans, expectations, and even commands are for us as we live with Christ as our Lord. God sets boundaries for our blessings. Clearly, or I should, I, I'm sorry, I skipped a spot. Don't you do that for your own kids? We do. And why do we set those boundaries? Because we want the best for our kids. We want to protect them. And we know that those boundaries will help them to achieve their very best, right? That makes sense. Think of how it pleases us when our kids stay within the boundaries we set for them and how deeply we enjoy blessing them as a result. Multiply that joy. Multiply that joy a hundredfold. And that's how God is blessed with us when we stay within his boundaries. And we're going to talk all about what that means. I'm going to show you a scripture that says exactly that, that he is overjoyed with us as we receive his love and love others. The first scripture I would like you to go to is 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible... I recommend you bring one when you come because I love it when you open your Bible, see God's word for yourself and have the opportunity to, to mark up your Bible, to write in it, to write notes, to underline so that when you go back and read it again, God will speak to you even more. We always have the scriptures up here, but I also love to have you have your own Bible. First Peter, starting with verse 13. So brace up your minds. Be sober circumspect, morally alert. Set your hope wholly and unchangeably on the grace, divine favor that is coming to you when Jesus Christ the Messiah is revealed. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you didn't know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy... You yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, we're going to unpack that a little bit. That last line there says, be holy, for I am holy. Today we're going to be talking about being holy. We're going to be talking about godly living and the, the impact that godly living has on receiving everything that God has for you in his plan of abundant life. But first, let's back way up to the beginning of the scripture. And I would like to talk about the very first line where it says, brace up your minds. 
In my other version, I have two translations in my Bible. And in my other version, it says, to gird up the loins of your mind. This was written, you've got to remember, the the time frame that the Bible was written in. It was many, many, many years ago. And people dressed differently than they do now. And at that time... um, Men and women wore long robes with a belt, with a sash at the, at the waist. And in order for them to run, they had to gird up their loins. That's what it was called. They had to pick up the robes and, in order to move, in order to move freely without stumbling. This says to gird up the loins of your mind. When we are in this process of whatever it is, as far as God's will goes, we need to have our mind renewed so that we don't stumble over wrong teaching, over misunderstanding, or, or half-truths that you may have heard in a setting where God's word wasn't rightly divided. And I'm pointing at Fred because he talked about how some of the things that he was taught in his religious life, in his religion, was the tradition of man and not doctrine of God from the Bible. I had the same experience Probably a lot of you did too. You may have learned that it isn't always God's will to heal. That it might be that God can heal, but that maybe he will choose not to. Well, that's not God. And that's a whole nother teaching in depth. And we will go there if you have questions after this meeting. Any one of the ministry team will go there and explain that to you if you have a question in your mind about whether or not it's God's will to heal. But the point I'm making right now is that Our part is to have our mind renewed by God's word so that we are rightly dividing his truth so that we are understanding what he says about healing. That's the first part. And today we're talking about holy living. So today we're going to be girding up the loins of our mind, having our minds renewed with what exactly that means. In your Bible study, there's a couple of of blanks or a couple of Um, open-ended statements that I want to make sure that are completed. And the first one is the word sober. The word sober is in this this scripture. It says um, to be sober. And that word means to be self-controlled or restrained or disciplined. To be self-controlled. We have the fruit in us to do that through the grace of God. Um, What kind of children are we to be? According to the scripture... And we're going to talk a lot about this. Obedient and yielding. It's simply a matter of yielding to God and his best for us instead of yielding to the world. And it's not always the best for us. Yielding to him, yielding to God. Number three, we're not to allow ourselves to be conformed to our former ways when we didn't know, when we were ignorant, when we were in that place. Like Fred said, he said he's a different person than he was then because he's grown. And it's this process. It's a process. It's not something that, um, and I'm not going to go, I don't want to step too far ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to explain that in a minute. And number four, we're to be holy in all of our conduct and manner of living. God says to be holy. He wouldn't say that if we couldn't do it. He would not put that in his word if it wasn't possible. Let's go to Romans 6 and we'll show you why. Romans 6. I suggest that you take this chapter of the Bible this week and read it several times. Meditate on this particular chapter. It's a good one. They're all good. But this one today, when we're talking about 
dominion over sin. It's a powerful chapter in the Bible. It has truth in it that will set you free. So we're going to start with verse 5. 5 through 7. For if we have become one with him by sharing a death like his, we shall also be one with him in sharing his resurrection by a new life lived for God. We know that our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be the slaves of sin. For when a man dies... He is freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. So this scripture says that we share God's resurrection. We share the resurrection of Jesus. We shared a death like his and we share his resurrection. And our old unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with Jesus. But let's look at this next scripture, verse 10. For by the death he died, he died to sin. This is talking about Jesus. That makes sense. Jesus did that. He's the son of God. When he died, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once and for all. And the life that he lives, he's living in God in unbroken fellowship with him. Well, that's totally easy to understand. Jesus is the son of God. His relationship with sin, he carried our sin, but then he died. When he died, he destroyed sin. And then he was resurrected and he is in right fellowship in complete unity and union with God. Easy. But look at the next scripture. This is where it gets amazing. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Just like Jesus, guys. The point I want to make right here, right now, is that Jesus died with sin. He was resurrected. Sin was destroyed. We, as believers, are completely in that same place. We, when we chose Jesus, we did the same thing. We died to sin with Jesus and we were resurrected to that position of not having sin of being an unbroken fellowship just like Jesus that's amazing the next scripture says let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal, short-lived bodies, perishable bodies, to make you yield to its cravings. Notice the word yield. We're going to talk about that word a lot. It says, don't let sin rule. Don't yield to its cravings and be subject to its lusts and evil passions. Don't continue offering or yielding your bodily members and faculties to, in- to sin as instruments or tools of wickedness. See, we still have a free will. Our spirit, and I'm going, to, I'm going ahead of myself again, but our spirit is made whole. When we receive Jesus, we are completely cleansed, and we are in that place of unbroken fellowship. But we still have our mind, our will, our emotions, and our body, and we still have the potential to sin, although we have dominion over it. But the word here says don't do it. Don't continue offering or yielding your bodily members. 
But instead, verse 13, but offer and yield yourselves to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of righteousness. And here's, here is the reason why we can do that. For sin shall not any longer have dominion over you. The word dominion is control. Sin shall not any longer have control over you. Since you are not under the law as slaves, but you are under grace as subject of God's favor and peace. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And because of God's grace, we have dominion over sin. We have control over sin. We can yield. It's our choice. We have free will. We have choice who we yield to. But through the grace of God, through the power of the grace of God, we have control. We can have control over sin. Got a few statements here that are powerful. The death of Christ wiped out your record of sin forever. The death of Christ wiped it out. You can't get any cleaner. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. Wow. When I was brought up in the church I was brought up in, there were saints. And they were, um, they had to be canonized. According to the word. That's who all of you are if you're a believer. We're a saint. We're not a sinner. We're a saint. It doesn't mean you can't sin. It just means it's not your profession anymore. <laughs> You're not a professional sinner. The blood of Jesus wiped out the power of sin over you. Good news. Let me say that again. The blood of sin wiped out the power of sin. Your old nature is dead. It was crucified with Jesus. The blood of Jesus didn't just wipe away the punishment so that you that when you die, you don't go to hell. That's not all it did. Rather, the blood of Jesus has the power to completely transform us into that new creation. Isn't that good news? See, the half-truth that I thought, that I understood in my before I come, came to know Jesus personally, the half-truth was that Jesus, the blood of Jesus destroyed sin in me. The whole truth is that it destroyed the power of sin over me. It no longer has power over me. It no longer has control over me or over you. Let's look at one more scripture, and then I'm going to, I think, explain things better. Would you go to Romans 8? And we're going to stop and talk about this. Romans 8, verse 2 and 3. For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being has freed me from the law of sin and death. New law took place, over, wiped out the old one. It took the place. The law of life has replaced the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do. The power being weakened by the flesh, the entire nature of man without the Holy Spirit. And this is how he did it. Sending his own son in the guise of sinful flesh and as an offering for our sin. 
God condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued, he overcame, he deprived it of its power over all who accept the sacrifice. Now that's good news. He deprived sin of its power, but we have to accept the sacrifice. So how do you do that? How do you accept the sacrifice? I want that. I want to have power over the sin. I want that to be part of the, the gift that I receive. What do I have to do? Yeah. Before I came to know Jesus personally, I didn't have that because I hadn't asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life and my Savior. Before that, I was on my parents' coattails. I'd been brought up in a religious home and I, from the time I was a baby. And I was just going to church with them. I was just doing what they did. But I had never asked Jesus myself. I had never asked him myself to be my Savior and the Lord of my life. That's how you receive the sacrifice. By saying, Jesus, you died for me. Jesus, you did this for me. I receive it. You have to believe it and declare it in order to receive it. You have to believe it in your heart. Declare it with your mouth in order to receive the benefits of the sacrifice. I call it surrendering. Surrendering to him instead of being in control yourself. It's so much better. But when you have received that sacrifice, you have the power over sin through the blood of Jesus. You have dominion. You have control. Okay, now the next piece that I'm going to share with you is not in your Bible study, so you may want to take notes somewhere if you have something to take notes on. The understanding, the revelation of what I'm going to share with you right now, I believe, has the potential to completely change your... um, understanding about healing about receiving about living the best life that god has for you to live the bible says that jesus came to give us life right and the thief came to steal kill and destroy but in order to receive that life i believe what i'm going to share with you right now can make a big big difference we when we surrender our heart to jesus like i just said we are made whole We are made righteous in our spirit. We're a three-part being. I've already talked about this in past sessions, but I want to go there again for just a minute. We're a spirit. We have a soul, and our soul is made up of our mind and our will and our emotions, our passions, our understanding, our intellect, all of that part of us. And then we have a body. If you're here for healing, probably it's because there's something going on in your physical body. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, your spirit is made perfect. You are righteous. The concept I want to teach right now is differentiating righteousness and holiness. We're talking tonight about godly living. We're talking about holiness. I want to differentiate between those two. So first, let's talk about righteousness. Would you open your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's talking about Jesus, of course. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness, the Greek word, oh boy, I looked this up, the pronunciation before you got here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but I'm going to spell it for you, and then I'll try to pronounce it. Write this down. The spelling of the Greek word for righteousness is D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. I don't know how to say it. Dikasune or something like that. Okay, that's the word for righteousness. Here's the definition according to Vine's Expository Dictionary. Sure. D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. S-U-N-E. And here's the definition. That gracious gift of God to men whereby all who believe in Jesus are brought into right relationship with God. This righteousness is unattainable by obedience to any law or by any merit of man's own or any other condition than that of faith in Christ. Righteousness is a gift from God and not a result of any work that man can do. When we receive Jesus, we get the, the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. We are in right standing with God, just like the scripture in, in Romans said, that we are now in unbroken fellowship. We died and we were resurrected, just like Jesus. We are now in right standing. Righteousness is a result of the act of God. It's based entirely upon receiving what Jesus did. All we have to do is believe. It's not something we have. It is something we are. Okay? That's righteousness. We've talked about righteousness quite a bit. But holiness is different. Holiness is a choice. Would you go to the next slide, please? We're not going to go there because we've already read it. This is the same Peter scripture that we read. This is the last verse. It says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. In God's word, he tells us to be holy. Holiness is different than righteousness. The Greek word for holiness is, I'm going to spell it again, H-A-G-I-O-S. Hagios. I think I can do that one. Hagios. And this is the definition. It is a state into which God in grace calls men. Yet believers are called to sanctify themselves cleansing themselves from all defilement, forsaking sin, living in a holy manner of life. Holiness is not a gift from God, but a decision of obedience by man. God supplies the grace. Man supplies the submission and obedience to the word of God. And holiness is the result. God's grace, our Submission and yielding to his word results in holiness. Holiness is a result of the act of men by their own free will. It is something that we develop. Our holiness is based entirely upon our obedience and yielding to God. 
So righteousness is a gift. State of being. And holiness is a process. A lifelong process of growing. Because we have the grace of God, we're able to do that. Because we have dominion and power over sin, we are able to do that. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about sin. And I don't like to talk about sin, but I think it's important so that you can look at the benefits of holiness. We're righteous no matter what. No matter what, and this was so big of a teaching for me, so big of a revelation. No matter what, we are still righteous. Sin does not affect our righteousness. That is a state of being. It never changes once you've received Jesus. Sin does not affect our righteousness. It does not affect God's love for you. But sin does have consequences. Not on your spirit, but it can have consequences on your soul, your mind, your will, or your emotions, and it can have consequences in your body. We talked, when we talked about the soul, we talked about um, places where the enemy can get a foothold into your life. It isn't legal. I used to call it a legal foothold, but I've changed my, my, that word because he was destroyed, wasn't he? Wasn't the enemy destroyed? Yeah, so he doesn't have any legal right. But he can illegally squeeze in there if we give him a foothold. And sin is one of those ways that we can have a little crack for him to push in and get in there and try to do damage. So I don't know about you, but I don't want any area of, of opening for the enemy to put a foot in there and get a foothold or a stronghold in my life. Okay, I want to just give some common examples um, because I think you'll agree. These examples are things we see every day. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can lead to bitterness and strife and hurt and stress and strife, right? Another example of sin is sexual immorality. According to God's word, that is a sin, it can lead to sexually transmitted diseases. It can lead to unwanted pregnancies. It can cause um, uh, girls to have abortions. I shouldn't say just girls because the, the, the men are involved in that as well. It can cause broken hearts, broken relationships. It can damage a lot of, a lot of parts of your life in your soul as well as your physical body. The area of drunkenness, again, God says, don't get drunk. Drunkenness can lead to addictions. It can lead to broken relationships. It can lead to broken marriages. Sin does have consequences. It doesn't affect your righteousness with God. He still loves you. It doesn't uh, affect your position. But it does have consequences. Tom, would you go to the next slide about... Sin. We're going to look at uh, one slide about sin and the next one about holiness. And then you're going to just see light starting to shine in this place. Sin is yielding to the enemy. When we choose to yield to the world, to the enemy, that's what happens. But this is the result. 
When we sin, and especially when we have repetitive kind of sin, our heart becomes hardened. And it doesn't even seem, seem like sin anymore. That's why sin doesn't seem like sin in the world. It has become so rampant that hearts have become hardened and cold and insensitive and unfeeling toward God. And that's when the enemy gets a foothold. That's when the enemy can get a foothold into the light, into your life. Would you please look with me at Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show you an example of this in the Bible. Verse 17. So this I say and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the heathen, the Gentiles do, in their perverseness, in the folly, vanity, and emptiness of their souls and in the futility of their minds. Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, and self-banished from the life of God. Self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart, to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. In their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling and reckless and have abandoned themselves to pray to unbridled sensuality, eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand. What I wanted to show you in here is the, the spiral where they have become calloused and insensitive and unyielding to God. I want to give you a couple of examples in my life where I know... This is before I came to know Jesus personally, where I know that I was doing this. I know that I was calloused, and I didn't even know it. The two areas I want to share with you right now are, um, I'm just going to share one right now. I, I call it idolatry. Idolatry is when you deify or put anything above God. In my life, I had, I was a workaholic. My work was my God. And I didn't know it. I was calloused. I was completely calloused. I went to church every Sunday, but that's all I did. <laughs> my work was my God. My work was literally the Lord of everything that I did. It, it, it took precedence over my marriage. It took precedence over my mothering, my family, my kids. It took precedence over everything. I didn't realize what I was doing. It was certainly above God. My work was above everything. That is sin. I was callous. I didn't have, my conscience didn't bother me about it until I came to know Jesus, until I came to see what his word said. And righteousness, when you're in that place of righteousness, and we're going to talk about this next week, when you're immersed in his word, it cleanses. It cleanses you of those things that have... Um, darkened your life. But I want to go to the next slide right now. Holiness. Holiness. Remember, holiness is based on our free will. We have the power through the blood of Jesus to have dominion over sin. We have grace. Grace is power. And we have power to say no 
to the things of the world. And as we do that, we yield to God's will. And as we yield to God's will, the opposite happens. Instead of being callous and hard-hearted and insensitive, the opposite happens. Your sensitivity level raises. You become um, sensitive to God's direction and correction and conviction. Conviction's a good thing. That's when God's just nudging you and loving on you and saying, baby girl, I've got something better for you. Listen to me. And when you yield to God's will, the enemy has no entry point. When you are yielded to God's will and follow his will instead of the world or instead of the enemy or whatever it is that's out there, the door to the enemy is completely closed. We're talking about healing here. This is a healing meeting. I believe this is an area where you can close a door where the enemy perhaps had a foothold and receive healing. In my life, and I'll teach on this later, in my life, one of the big issues I know that I had an open door was an unforgiveness. And I'll talk about it later. But I closed that door. God revealed it to me through his word. And when he revealed it to me, I was sensitive. I yielded to him. I was sensitive to it. And over time, that thing was healed and the enemy didn't have that open door. And I received healing of stage four cancer. Let me give you one more example of of yielding to God's will and being sensitive to his voice. In my life, one of the areas that was very quickly, as soon as I started seeking God and reading his word, one of the things that was very quickly um, made really sensitive in my conscience was what I viewed or read. And when I viewed or read something that wasn't God's best for me, I had a very strong um, thing in my in my inner being that said, no, Cindy, that's not good for you. And And I learned to hear that voice and close the book. Hear that voice and turn off the TV or change the channel. Hear that voice and put the book on the shelf or throw it away and not even look at it again. I had a friend come over yesterday who's in the ministry of healing. And we were talking about a subject of healing, about inner healing. And we were talking about good teaching we've read and things like that. And I says, well, I have this one book. (laughs) I went and got it. It was on my shelf. And I put it down. I said, but I can't read it. (laughs) I said, you probably shouldn't read it either because the Holy Spirit won't let me read it. I don't know why. It's a book about healing. There, But listen to the Holy Spirit in you. And if there's something that says, "Mm -mm, mm -mm," close it, turn it off, protect yourself. Instead of of feeding on whatever that was, don't even know what it was, but instead of receiving it, listen to God's voice. So that's just an example. I would like to look at Ephesians chapter 4 right now. We're going to end this and continue this next week because there's no way we're going to finish it today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 27. Holiness is a choice. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here we go again. Have your mind renewed. Having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. And put on the new nature, the regenerate self created in God's image 
godlike in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, rejecting all falsity and being done now with it, let everyone express the truth with his neighbor, for we are all parts of one body and members of one another. When angry, do not sin. Do not ever let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury or indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. I wanted to show you that the Bible says what I was just telling you. Don't give a foothold to the devil. Don't give him an opening. Live that life of yielding to God and not yielding to the enemy. And the enemy won't have a foothold. Let me tell you where um, we'll continue. I'll have time, actually. We'll talk afterwards. Maybe you could finish this, this teaching next week. But basically what we're going to talk about is what the Word says about walking in this holiness, about walking in love with yourself, with your neighbor, about um, living according to God's plan and not according to the enemy's plan. And then the next teaching that I would like to do really talks about how to do that. Today we've kind of defined holiness. And, and I, I hope shown you God's best for you. That you are righteousness. You are in a position, in a state of right standing with God. But holiness is a choice and it's a process. Next time I'm here in two weeks, we're going to talk about how we get there. And it's not on our own doing because we have so much help. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his unction. We have the word. The word that washes us, that cleanses us. And when you're immersed in his word, when you're renewing your mind with his word, that's the result. Because you see, you become, when, whenever you come to know somebody really well, when you, you become what you behold. When you behold Jesus, you become like him. When you behold the character of God, you become more and more like him in his character, in his, in his, in his goodness. You become more and more like him. So relationship, the word, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about all of that. It's not hard. It's a process. It's not, it's not a burden. It's a joy. And that's what you want to do because you're in that place of being right standing with him. Okay, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because it's already 825 and open this place to prayer.